1: The Telegraph. Podcasts.
0: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. You will not find AFC taking a winter break. The gang are all here to discuss the amazing season Chris Wilder and Sheffield United are having and the alarming upturn in former Everton since the appointment of a truly world class eyebrow. There's a look at the state of play at the top of the championship, a potential crisis brewing at Barcelona, and a Milan derby to remember. And stay tuned until the end of the episode today. Not that you'd ever stop listening prematurely. I've got a special offer for all of you loyal audio football club fans, which you do not want to miss. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by three people all looking at either their phones or their laptops. First of all, it's JJ Bull. How are you, JJ?
2: I'm good. I'm watching goals. You're watching goals? Yeah. Get in the game, mate. Get engaged
0: in this podcast. That's
2: how I do it. so how I get revved up. Okay. You just maybe to, to listening to, like, rock and roll music to get all jumped, <laughs> but not me. I watch the simple act of goal scoring.
0: Are they even good goals, or is it just uh, of, No, you know?
2: they're not. No, no. No. All
0: right. Good. <laughs> how about you, Mina Rizuki? What do you do to get uh, pumped up for this podcast?
2: Um,
1: well, so here's what happened on Saturday. I watched Hellas Verona beat Juventus.
0: Oh, we'll get to it, Mina. Don't you worry.
1: I got so riled up that I think I got sick afterwards. So now I don't know whether I'm actually sick or I'm angry sick, which is a thing for me. So
0: angry ill, Mm. I like it. Well, let's try and uh, let's try and deal with that. I've stayed in bed
1: ever since.
0: Well. Congratulations for making it in. Appreciate it. Uh, alongside you, Mina, it's Matt Law, and you've prepared for this podcast today by spectacularly spilling your coffee all over one of the audio recording facility seats, Matt.
3: Correct. Having read the Julie Neville interview, which prompted the spillage.
0: But too exciting. Such an exciting interview. I was that just you so excited about,
3: yeah, about, yeah, how terribly Phil Neville came across in it. <laughs> Did you I stopped concentrating feel... on what I was doing.
1: Do you now feel like a really good husband?
3: Yeah, I do, actually. But if someone did an interview with my wife about me, I'm pretty sure everyone would think I was a dick. So yeah. a lot of skeletons in that particular closet. <laughs>
0: Let's start with the extremely boutique Premier League weekend. Paired now, fictionalists to begin with. One game was postponed, and so we will be able to do some deep dives today into a couple what a word. of the... Uh, yeah, what a terrible phrase. Into, uh, into two of the teams that played. Uh, the first one of which is Sheffield United. Really quite a miraculous season they're having, Matt. I think you sometimes see these promoted teams doing well in the first half of seasons and then when it comes to playing teams the second time around, occasionally they've been a bit found out, especially when it's teams doing something interestingly tactically. Um, well, why
3: hasn't that happened for
0: Sheffield United? They just seem to be going on as they did in the first half of the season and um, and they're looking good to challenge for the Champions League.
3: <laughs> that sounds mental, doesn't it? Um... Yeah, I thought when they got a few injuries and things, when they just couldn't play the same 11, it'd be a big problem too. I also thought, do you remember when Newcastle went there and beat them and just um, defended for their lives? And I thought that Newcastle had maybe set a bit of a template for teams against them and that they were going to get, in inverted commas, found out that way. And they haven't. My honest answer is I don't actually know how they've done it. I do. Go on then.
1: Wilder. It's all about Chris. I really genuinely believe so. This is a this is a team that had a market value of 63 million at the start of the season. And it was that was 20 million less than what Norwich had. Um, Aston Villa were valued at 141 million. And he's just come in. He's got... I think he's... Honestly, he's one of the greatest coaches that I've seen in a very long time. And for somebody who's, you know, grown up watching Italian coaches, he is really, truly something special because he can take an average player and I think make him a great man, just like a great one, simply on based on the fact that the tactics, the harmony, um, the confidence that he gives them, his man management, um, his tactical understanding, his flexibility, he makes everything so easy that the players feel supported and trusted and loved, but at the same time disciplined. So they can't ever really do or or step out of line because I think that he'll ruin them for it. And I just think that he's the type of coach, you know, we talked about, you know, once upon a time on this pod about is there really a coach that can change anything? And both of you had said Antonio Conte is one of those that really knows how to raise the level. And I just think that Chris Wild is one of those who really knows how to raise the level. And I think that he's come in really prepared. He understood that the Premier League is different to to, you know, the championship, prepared them mentally, prepared them physically, um, created harmony, has sort of not 15 languages being spoken, but one. And I think it's made the difference. And he's relied on a core of eight players who in total have cost him eight million, which is just, it's it's like a joke when you think of how uh, players like Chris Basham and, and Stevens, who came in for free and then you think the most expensive is John Egan of 4.1 million, uh, Lundstrom, 700,000, Bulldog, 650,000, Jack O'Connell, half a million. It's amazing what he's done with this and yeah for me he is just I mean Munstrom wasn't
3: even a regular in the championship for them and he was I read an interview with him I think in probably our paper and um he was thinking about leaving and went to see Chris Wilder towards the end of last season and Chris Wilder just basically said relax you're you're going to get a lot of minutes in the Premier League I think you're much better suited for the Premier League I've got a plan for you and wow, he did. I mean, he's become this like cult fantasy football figure, hasn't he? Because he scored so many points in that. Um, but I mean, just just things like that are fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And uh, the the other thing about kind of Sheffield United that uh, is clearly interesting, which JJ I'm sure will talk to, is this whole centre-backs business. And mm. Carragher did a column for us at the weekend where he said he thinks he's actually genuinely created a new kind of... Uh, innovative tactic that people are going to actually end up copying that it's not a tweak on something else and it's not just him finding a solution that he's actually come up with an innovation of his own
2: it's a the strange thing with Sheffield United is that they're both really really uh, attacking almost you'd think it's it's careless but they're also very defensive Mm. they don't really play through midfield the difference with John Lundstrom from last season to this is that they changed from a two in midfield to a three which is why Lundström comes in and he's a fantasy football hero because he's a defender on that for some reason. <laughs> uh, which is why he's so they are. But uh, like everything that Mina's saying as well, like the players suit the exact tactics. So he got players, like Oliver Norwood, right, is quite a good player, but he wouldn't be, he wouldn't go to Man City and light up, but he suits what they do because he has the exact functionality that they need within that team. John Fleck, decent player is not going to if you went to Man United they wouldn't suddenly be a lot better I mean, some of these players make a difference but it's because they work the system but the players suit the system and the system suits the players so that kind of works but you have with like the centre-backs things the overlapping centre-backs is what we kept seeing last season in the championship and they did it a wee bit this season as well Is Uh, it
0: the first time you've seen it or have you seen anything similar uh,
2: tactically? Guardiola's is the first time he's seen it even, but uh, if it's Alan Nil who invented this assistant He's to defer to
0: Guardiola uh, <laughs> in these matches. <laughs> well, he's been,
2: he's, <laughs> he used to get sound bites from him. It's mm. people like him and Bielsa and people like that. Those are the ones who always talk about tactical and innovations and in press because they're trying to bring them up. Klopp does it a lot as well, actually. But the uh, the centre-backs thing it was Alan Nil, the assistant manager's idea and he'd seen it somewhere else. I can't remember what, uh, where he said he'd seen it. it. was in this Sunday League, but I mean, he doesn't claim credit for it, but I know word in the street is that it's come from non-league or lower league where uh, Alan Nill's seen it and put it in. So while there's listening to his other uh, staff, which is very important, assistant managers are always much more important. A lot of people realise, like feeling at Man United and stuff.
1: Villanova.
2: yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Villanova, exactly. That's exactly a good example of it. And uh, the centre-backs, they, they play a three at the back. And when they go forwards, what I mean about them being really defensive, when, they, when they're when they at the back, as you start with, everyone's back and they tend to have one at the top that they've got as an out ball and then they attack with wing backs so they can get quickly out you win a throw in and you can go up the the play from there when they attack we often find is if you look at um, let's compare it to Arsenal who play a 4-3-3 or something like that but when they're in attack it's a 2-3-5 Man City will often be a 2-3-5 in attack all teams Liverpool 2-3-5 because they transition to that shape but what Sheffield United do is something similar but they'll have like a <laughs> like a 235 or a 2 like the numbers 226 but they they double up everywhere so there's one like particular goal against Aston Villa for example where you look there's four players in the right channel so total overload there and there's three or four players at the back post another overload there so the whole point of football and your tactical systems you set up is to get overloads everywhere a lot of people do it in defensive phases so that they can control the game that way. But Wilder's doing it in these weird parts of, t- of the pitch. So if you've got three versus two in the wing, suddenly you've definitely got a way to get the ball in the box. And because he stacks them with these big, tall boys, like the wing backs are basically centre backs as well. They're huge, those boys. So they attack the back post. Then you get forwards like Ollie McBurney, who, I mean, <laughs> he's not a £20 million pound player, no. is he? But big, tall, you can take the ball down, control it, bring others in. And it means you've got... It's it's very functional football, and it, I heard them describe it match the day two, saying it, it's like randomness. Tom Heaton, Aston Villa keeper, saying it's like it's like randomness, but it is that organised chaos mm. by creating overloads. It's the whole point of it. Loads it's of it. fun to watch as well. Like, oh, yeah. Really, really yeah, excited really game yesterday. Like, loved yeah. the
0: rain. Loved how much they were going for it. Like Bournemouth <laughs> didn't do the uh, Newcastle thing of sitting back. They went for it a bit, and probably to their cost. Um, but yeah, I think I think I agree with you all about Wilder. It just seems like he's um, it's a systemic thing with him, isn't it? Rather than he's done it at the um, clubs. It's, it's not like he's yeah, just he's got started a magnificent it. record.
3: Yeah, it's not like he's just suddenly happened on something at, at Sheffield United and some magic has happened at, at one club. A bit like what you'd say, Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's wherever he's done own. it. He's done it <laughs> other, other, in other jobs, which suggests he can translate it and. and but I would to,
2: say, like. It's very easy to talk about how great it is now because they've been winning, but they've been winning a lot of one nils, 0 nil nils. It could so easily have gone another way where they draw a few of them. And but What they are? They what does know, our old
0: friend XJ say? Uh,
2: I've not actually got that up. I can find it out in a minute, but uh, I know that they're like, just on points. I mean, they're, they're nine points above 14. So if they lose three games, which is not inconceivable, and teams below them come up. Suddenly they drop right down the table and it doesn't look quite as impressive. The other thing to really look at is that the goals for... They've only scored 28 in the league, which is the same as Burnley. Which is mm. less than Southampton, sorry, fewer than Southampton, fewer than Brighton, and they've conceded only twenty-four, which is it's that's the good record. So they're at, they're stronger defense than they are in attack, and I don't know how sustainable that is.
1: But it's also the fact that a lot of their points have been gathered from losing positions, which suggests that when they are going through something bad, that he either will change something tactically, yeah. or the team is is motivated psychologically and mentally. Enough. I think to it's always, that. Yeah. I think
2: it, I can. Th- I don't think it changes often. It, it, Things too much, but if he doesn't get the the exact amount of work rate out the players needs to make this work, if you've got eight players ahead of the ball,
1: yeah,
2: he's uh, <laughs> <you're> in trouble. <laughs> if he turns over, massive, so you've got to chase back and get it. So there was a clip um, from the Bournemouth game where one of the centre backs is on the right wing and then has to chase back to to win the ball. It turns it over, and that's how they get the ball in yeah. the box to get another shot away. And that's what they need to have. It's just you don't really see. Like, can you imagine seeing? Even Harry Maguire doing that? No, but,
1: but this is what I love about him as well is, is the fact that his uh, recruitment is based on, you know, there were, I know this sounds great because I compare a lot of stuff sometimes to the NFL, but... There's a lot of times where they say, I don't want the best player. I want the best competitor. But he doesn't want any of those. He just wants a guy that he knows will understand him and will do a job for him. So he always hires and brings in men that he believes he can trust to say, OK, listen, you know, our back is against the walls. We need to get these two points or three points or whatever it is. And they will go and do everything for him. And he's also a man who just studies so much. There was a lot of conversations, a lot of interviews with his players at Oxford. And they had all come out and said that they used to come out with packs because of how. Hand- much they analyze DVDs. So he's one of those people who knows what the potential weaknesses are. He prepares them for every stage, defensively and offensively, so that they always can lean on their training when anything goes wrong. And I think when you're that well prepared, it becomes very difficult to defeat this team.
0: Also, not someone you'd want to mess with, as evidenced by a little <laughs> scuffle on the touchline with Andrew Sermon. Quick word on Bournemouth, Matt. Uh, it looked like they had a good opportunity to make it three wins in a row. They played all right here, but they play eight out of the top nine in the fixtures that remain. Do you think I'll stay up?
3: They're such a hard team to predict. They go through these kind of streaky patches. Um, I actually wouldn't have been that surprised if they'd have won yesterday because they do tend to get their wins in in clusters and they'd won the last two. Um, I just think it's going to be, I keep saying this, I I can't call it, it's going to be so tight. I don't see them pulling away. I don't see them winning enough points to pull away. But there's you see a few them, them psychologically, there,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, they psychologically psychologically collapsed because they were so good, mm. and I don't know why they wasn't. It was they couldn't keep it up. Mm.
2: basically Their big problem as well over the last few seasons is that they get to the point where they're safe, then they relax, yeah, and they've not really had to struggle as much as they have. That might be wrong there, but they don't seem to have had to struggle so much as they are now. But that's because there's so many clubs grouped together that they're in a bit of trouble. Yeah,
0: it certainly feels like they could do with a bit of a rethink if they do stay up this season. One team who are pulling away from any relegation that bother are Everton. <laughs> They've been massively improved under Ancelotti. Only Liverpool have won more points since he arrived into the Everton job. What's been his secret, JJ?
2: Well, Ancelotti's... See, I mean, mean, I know a lot about Ancelotti right, from Serie A stuff, but hes a, he tends not to do anything dramatically, tactically. He does t- the simple things very well, fits players into... He fits his system around the players, makes sure that that works. Same with what we're just talking about with Wilder, it just all works, but then he makes... People happier. He leads quietly. He doesn't need to ball and shout. Apparently he's given a lot of responsibility to Duncan Ferguson. And the tactical changes are what Ferguson did. It just makes total sense. You put two wingers on. You've got not many clubs have two forwards like Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. One, they both can, Calvert-Lewin's really good in the air. And if we look at statistics in the Premier League, he's one of the best at uh, things that would make him look like someone who can take the ball down and, and win it in the air and stuff like that. But he's also scoring heaps. But he's doing that since he's been part of a two. So obviously that seems to work better for him. So you get more out of that. You score Schneiderlin something back in the team. It's an interesting one. mm in his book, he says that, that that's his favourite system, is a four four two, either a diamond or, or a flat two. That's what he always used to play.
1: He was known for his um, Christmas tree formation, mm-hmm. but four four two 4 2 is his favourite formation. And I think that, you know, the fact is, is that I think he benefited a lot from Duncan Ferguson's interim management because I think that he, what Ferguson did was sort of return the confidence to the players. Um, he got Richarlison and Cavett Lewin to work together, play together and, and have fun together. Um, and you could see that the team was already experiencing a a positive bounce. I think that he's just problem-solves, and that's what he does really well. And and I think, like Klopp, when you do enjoy your football, and it's not about going through, oh, God, it's a set-piece. We know we're going to fail. It's a set-piece. This is always what happens. He's the kind of guy that just... He just takes away all the pressure. There was a a time where Real Madrid always lost to Bayern Munich, always. And they came to him and and spoke to that. And they were like, oh, this is, you know, your La Bestia Negra, you know, the team that always ends up, you know, scoring against you and and booting you out of the competition. What's La Bestia Negra? Oh, Black Beast. What would you call uh, your... Bet Noir? Bet Noir, Bet Noir. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he said at the time, um, yeah, okay, fine. I mean, you know, German, you know, Bayern can always beat whichever team it is but I've never lost to a German team and it's just it filled this club with so much calm and he just has this ability to create a great harmony to make everyone have fun he's not some I think I mean for, I think with Everton Marco Silva had these training sessions that were just really long and players just stopped focusing after a while they were unhappy with it whereas now under Carlo Ancelotti it's quick it's tight it's precise He's he's got two assistants with him Don't, he delegates certain things to Ferguson but at the same time he's happy to be sort of your dad figure, you know, um, makes you feel comfortable. Uh, you know, he Walcott said something along the lines of, I was reading the other day, of of he turned around to me and said, you know, you are allowed to score, right? You know that, right? And rather than get really upset about it, he was like, I thought that was really funny. And he does, because it's it's Ancelotti telling you that, rather than anyone else telling you that.
0: Yeah, if he raises that eyebrow, you're putty. <laughs> <around>. <laughs> did, did, does that make him a little bit different to Klopp, Mina, and, and Pep, I suppose? Because I know that, you know, the modern... Uh, all the best modern managers are that kind of arm round the players and they're sort of pally. But it seems to me that Klopp and Pep are operating with a level of crazed intensity that Ancelotti Do you think doesn't. necessarily... Well, if that documentary is anything to go by, it's a million miles an hour, and he's you know he's absolutely obsessed with every game and every possible facet. It, it seems a little bit looser with Ancelotti. Like yeah. it seems like he's a little bit more kind of you know go out there. I and would have a say good time. Klopp
1: is closer to Ancelotti, and Pep is a little bit more intense and. and, and I think Pep is obsessed with perfection. And so, and a lot of the times he said, you know, even in the documentary that my teams play better when they hate me, right? Um, It's almost like they're taking out their anger on me by playing a good game or just following my instructions. I think what Klopp's done is is made the tactics fun for his team. So they're happy to keep going at 70,000 miles an hour, despite the fact they all played in the summer, they're all exhausted. I think he makes it a really fun atmosphere. I do think it's intensity. But not in the same way where you're like killing yourself at every stage. I don't feel that way with Klopp's players. Ancelotti, you know, he doesn't demand physical intensity. He thinks after a while that burns out players. It's also he's one of the few coaches who can actually last a long time. Whereas a lot of people are talking about the fact that Pep is reaching his fourth year. And, you know, it's the fourth year. That's probably with the time to go. That's
2: really relevant. He, he's adaptable. It's one of the things that's made him. He's one of the most successful managers in history. Yeah. I just think of him as Carlo Ancelotti. He's just this guy. like He's brilliant. He's won the Champions League which, three times,
1: yep. isn't it? Right. And five, if you count two as a player.
2: And it, some of the teams he had were just unbelievable. It must be a bit of a good cop, bad cop thing going to Everton. And he
1: had really tough managements. I mean, he worked for Fiorentino, Florentino Perez, for Silvia Berlusconi. He's dealt with like pain. and But he's been in Milan for what, eight years, happily to happy to just keep evolving, keep changing. He's that kind of guy. I mean, that's... Uh, Others say he's too loose. You know, I mean, Bayern obviously hated the fact that he just wasn't training them non-stop.
2: In his book, he says the same reason he got hired is often the same reason he got fired. They wanted something quite calm to lead it and then eventually they think, well, they're not running hard enough We need to get someone else in. Yeah. That's it.
3: I I think it's funny, isn't it? Because when he was hired by Everton, there was a lot of talk of, oh, he's not really the right fit for Everton. Mm. I always thought that was quite amusing. You know, this... (laughs) World class Champions League winning <laughs> manager. Yeah, who's,
1: but you, didn't you see that point? No, at I all? didn't.
3: I really didn't, and I, I promise you, I never said it well, because it, I, it's like saying, "Well, they need
0: someone worse." Effectively, exactly. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it's like, okay, so they need David Moyes, do they? You know, that it was a, it was a strange, strange argument against him. You know, this club who were fighting relegation are getting a world class manager, and he, he wasn't quite the right fit.
1: Because in Italy, we have this notion of a builder and a finisher. So we have like, you know, you bring in your Ranieri and then you have Jose Mourinho finish it. You know, does that Yeah, and we, we
3: have that in, in England as well because as JJ said, that a lot of the reasons why these people end up getting sacked are the reasons they get hired in the first place because the cycle goes through and they get tired of what actually they, they wanted and they then they go for something completely Different. on the opposite scale. He's the only, I'm told he's the only manager that uh, Abramovich has sacked that he actually regrets it. Um, well, so famously sacked him at Everton. Um Having won, you know, the double and and all sorts, and and I think they were third or something the season, second or third the season, he got he ended up getting sacked, and um yeah, apparently Abramovich regrets it and has considered him bringing him back several times because he liked him so much.
0: Arshon Di Matteo from Abramovich. <laughs> what about the man in the opposite <laughs> dugout at Goodison Park? Are we approaching the end possibly for Roy Hodgson at Palace? A little bit of chatter he's considering retirement.
3: I think not. I suspect he'll end up signing one more deal and and doing another year. Um, We've heard this a lot after transfer windows with Palace because they haven't signed anyone really very significant for for several windows now, and he's obviously always very unhappy about it. Palace should be careful because I really think they'd have gone down by now if it wasn't for Roy Hodgson. As as much as you can sort of take the mickey out of Roy and and find the style of football wearing and tiring and, and slightly boring, he gets... He gets more out of them than, than you would imagine most people would.
1: No, I'm a fan of his. Um, and Benteke scored.
3: Benteke scored. I mean, you would. I know that they're on a terrible run at the moment, they've got 30 points, so they're, they're not out of it. But you would be amazed if they got properly sucked into it with Roy, with Roy there. He's an. Abs- I always think he's a guarantee of staying up. I actually think when Roy Hodgson re- does one day we retire, looking back on his career even though there are moments of his career you can obviously have great fun with and take the mickey out of, he'll have to go down as one of the best ever British yeah, managers. Absolutely. He'll have to. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Class act.
2: Hello, football fans. My name's Danny Boyle, and I'm The Telegraph's Commuter Editions editor, which means it's my
0: job to provide you with great journalism that makes your journey to and from work as enjoyable as possible. I can't prevent train delays or guarantee you won't get caught in the rain, but I can make sure you're up to date with the best of The Telegraph every morning and evening. My colleague Chris Price and I produce briefings to bring you up to speed in just two minutes at both ends of the day. Now, they're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search The Briefing or follow the link in the show notes
1: to this episode.
0: What about the Football League Championship, JJ Ball? What's going on with Leeds? Are they just bottling it again? Is it as simple as Bielsa just working his sides too hard? Because this does seem to happen season after season for them. They destroy all before them with their all-conquering football and then it just starts to unravel terribly.
2: Well, I mean, I would have thought it was purely a mentality thing is what it comes down to. You see some teams just can't get over the line and it's been such a... a mental block for Leeds for so long that they've been so close, but not well. I do mean close recently, but it's such, such the pressure and demand to get up there must play a, a part in it, and it'll be in the city that I've not been to the city, so I don't know what the, what the vibe is like there just now. But these kind of things you can usually feel in certain clubs, and players won't be you no know, immune to that. The idea that he works them too hard and then they then tire. It makes sense, but also the Championship's is a bit of a random league. We get a lot of stuff. people just punt the ball up, and they get a second ball, and they score a goal, and that can be a one-nil defeat. And so Bielsa is trying to control every single part of the pitch and the ball, so they remove these variables. But you can't really help it if someone just launches it and it ends up like a mistake. Well, I just can't, don't. You can if it keeps happening game after game. I probably. think
3: some of it's explainable by the fact that the squad actually isn't that good. Mm-hmm. If you go through Leeds it's quite Le- small as well. It's quite small, and if you go through, if you actually were to go through Leeds player by player against six other championship clubs they're not that impressive so what he has succeeded on in terms of first half of seasons and results is somehow building um, some sort of tactical base or some sort of spirit within the group whether it be through extreme hard work or whatever that um, that makes them greater than their their parts and it feels like it's just impossible to keep that going with that group of players they're just I just don't think they're they're actually good enough
2: I thought when they lost those players in the summer I didn't it seemed like the kind of players that were going out is the, would mean that Bielsa wouldn't be very happy about what's just happened to it. But he stayed and he's still there. But I wonder whether, he, if you know anything, would he stay longer? I can't imagine he'd stay
3: another year. You, if, if you, he doesn't make it. No, year, you yeah. fear. You actually fear for Leeds if they don't get up because there are question marks over ownership and how committed they are if they don't get into the Premier League. Certainly big question marks over... I mean, Bielsa nearly went last summer and you'd imagine he'll get offers. Um So I I would be incredibly surprised if he stayed. Should he
1: be getting offers if he can't get leads up?
3: Well, um, that's a good argument. I'm not sure. I'm not one of these sort of Bielsa disciples, but that's a good argument. Although, as I just said, I actually don't think his squad is
2: is Well, exactly. And I would point to that. I mean, you can only get so far with the players. I mean, just talk to praise about Ancelotti. Everton will level out and they won't get any better unless he gets in better players as well. Mm. You don't do so much as a coach. Uh, There's only so many tactical systems you can play that a lot of the... Things I that make I feel them special.
1: If done yeah, it.
2: but they'll eventually that'll level out. they've only they've got a lot of wooden nils and what nil nils and stuff. And what managers that make them special are their mannerisms and the way they build a team and can put chemistry together that that makes everything work. That's the real kind of skill to it, I think, because you get ideas on how to you play your different systems from your coaches and you you see what's happening. But I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's not ideal for Lisa's now.
0: Yeah, them and West Brom have had a uh, slightly more difficult phase after looking like they were both going to run away with the automatic promotion places earlier in the season. Good win, though, for West Brom at Millwall this yeah. weekend. Do you want to see Slaven Bilic back in the
3: uh Yes, I do. I really like Slaven Bilic. I really like him. He's a fantastic character, really good guy. Um,
1: super smart.
3: Super smart, yeah. I think he's a good coach. I mean, I've got a lot of mates who are West Brom mates, and they are loving it at the moment. They, they say the football is fantastic. Um, they love him, they love the way he's approached the job, they love his enthusiasm for it. They're a very, very happy bunch at the moment. They really like the, the kid he's got on loan from West Ham, uh, Grady Diagana, who I think might be injured at the moment um, or just coming back from injury. I think it's ironic that, that you know West Ham are struggling so badly and their ex-manager has gone away and done so well and also taken their best prospect and he's doing incredibly well um, while no young players are coming through at West Ham. Uh, gratuitous dig there at West Ham um, <laughs> yeah. but no I, I, I saw them funnily enough I saw them at, at West Ham when they played their reserve team and, and won in the FA Cup, and they, they were great then they look like they've got a plan they look confident i, I as a Villa fan, you wouldn't usually hear a Villa fan saying this, but I actually really hope they go up.
0: Yeah, get that boiler into the Premier League. <laughs> who would you most like to see promoted, Mina? We've got Fulham, Forest and Brentford all looming. Is there any sense of like who, you, who you'd like? you you want a bit of novelty in the Premier League or do you want to go back with the tradition of Nottingham Forest being back in the top line?
1: I do like the idea of Nottingham Forest being back. Fulham is actually my local club, so I should really be on board with them, but I'm not actually a huge fan of... The way that they play their football. Um, I know that's probably not the right Forest thing. Forest would be say. great. I
3: mean, they've been outside the, the top flight for, like, for like twenty odd years or whatever. Yeah. I mean they are so
1: romantic. I, I've worked back. in
3: the East Midlands and it's very easy to forget what a massive club Nottingham Forest are and what a, a kind of fantastically passionate support base they've got. And I've I've thought for years clubs like Forest and Sheffield Wednesday I mean Wednesday aren't going to do it this year I don't think but
1: I'd like Notts County as well
3: those kind of They've clubs are. quite a few promotions <laughs> <clubs laughs> if they want to get back into the Premier League but I mean I think everyone's going to fall in love with Brentford and I'm getting a bit bored of hearing about Brentford if I'm quite honest I'm with
0: you, lo- I'm loving this antipathy towards Fulham and Brentford as a QPR fan I've obviously, uh, I've bring obviously on won them all over Bring on Forest bring on and Forest. lots of Brian
3: Clough stories
0: Shall we switch our attention to the continent and talk about Barcelona? Been a funny week for them, Mina, the week we've just had. It seemed like proper crisis at one point, like Abidal uh, not winning many friends, Messi uh, kind of calling him out on social media. I mean, there's truly only one winner here, especially given his contract situation, and that's Messi, right? He'll The club will just have to do whatever they can to keep him happy.
1: Well, this is the whole point. I think that what Messi's upset about is that, so basically, Abidal came out and he did an interview with Catalan newspaper Sport. Uh, I think this, I believe this was last Tuesday, and he said that uh, lots of players. We were not satisfied with Valverde, nor did they work a lot. Anyway, he spoke about the coach dressing room relationship. He said it was always good, but then there are things that I can smell as a former player, things that I can sense as a former player. And I told the club what I thought. Basically, what he's saying or alluding to was the fact that the players didn't seem to be working hard enough. And I think that's something that a lot of people said at the time. Um, considering his position and, and the fact that he was speaking a little bit too much in interviews, has angered Messi because a lot of the times when you talk about Barcelona and players not working hard enough, people look at Messi because he's always sort of, you know, that guy, right? So you you think of the fact that they got you know, done by Roma in the Champions League, the following season, again, done by Liverpool, lose to Valencia in the Copa del Rey. And it's just all like, you know, what's happening to Barcelona? What's happening? And you'll look at Messi, you just be like, he's not really the leader that Ronaldo is or all of these things. So he's come out and he came out on Instagram at the time and said, I think that if you're going to talk about players not being on the side of, you know, the coach or not working, please mention names because otherwise we all end up looking terrible and secondly i don't like this kind of thing like keep your opinions to yourself we loved valverde sort of thing um and this is i think you should also take responsibility for your your mistakes i guess at management um i'm paraphrasing here he didn't say all these things but I think that there's just basically been a clash because Messi hates the fact that everyone looks at him as sort of, you know, the end all and be all at Barcelona, that he's corning the shots, that he's this guy that just can choose which coach comes in, which sporting director gets fired. And he's basically saying, if I had the kind of control that you guys think I have... Then firstly, Neymar would be here and I'm not wouldn't be working with Griezmann. Um, I'm not entirely sure that, you know, Valverde would have gone and I'd be we'd be with Setien. Um, So I think he's like, I don't wield the kind of power that you think I am, but I still have this reputation and he's getting really irritated about it. With Abidal, I feel sorry for him because I don't actually think he said anything very wrong. The problem is, is that he talks too much if I was a sporting director, I'd be Abby Dow. So that's why I probably feel <laughs> a little bit sorry for him because I'm one of those types of people that just gets carried away, starts explaining the situation and then just think, oh, I shouldn't have probably said these <laughs> things, you know. Um, and that's a, a, what it is. But I think that it's a wider issue of the fact there is poor internal discussions. Um, y- you just feel like it's kind of become management versus players. Not everyone is happy over there on that level. And that's what everyone's accusing Barcelona of going through at the moment.
0: Where are they at on the pitch, JJ? Are they having a good time it at the moment? Or it Gosh. seems like it's been quite a difficult season for them.
2: Well, I mean, until recently, they were joint level, top of uh, La Liga and playing OK, but... Valverde. I didn't really enjoy watching them under Valverde. It was kind of boring to watch. I mean, you
1: enjoying them under Said yet? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: they're going to pass everyone to death.
1: Yeah. A thousand and five passes against Granada to win one nil. I would have yeah. committed suicide. <laughs> He's like
2: the ultimate, ultimate um, student of like Renes Michel football, where possession is king. Just keep it at all costs. But they changed the shape. They play like a back three sometimes um, now, but. They were back to some sort of weird diamond at the weekend. Uh, I mean, they're, they've got a really small squad. Barcelona, if you notice their first team, they don't have many players. They could really do with a few more, but their wage bill is enormous, It's astronomical because of the the key players they've got like Messi and Suarez. Do their wage that. bill
1: is six hundred and seventy-one. Atletico Madrid is three hundred and
2: forty-eight. Doesn't smack of well-run club, does it? Nick? <laughs> no,
3: not really. <laughs>
1: And not only that, like people love to sort of be a little bit harsh on Real Madrid because they're not always the, the best well-run club, let's be honest. Um, but what they have done and considering the fact that they were known as a side that had bought in Galacticos, They actually didn't have the net debt, according to Forbes, uh, Real Madrid carries no debt and in fact, they recorded a negative debt balance of 107 in 2017-18 financial statements. Barcelona, on the the other hand, 157 million. The amount of money that they have spent, the fact that they let go of Neymar and then replaced him with Coutinho and and Dembele, Dembele first and then Coutinho, where you just thought probably better to reinforce your midfield and your defence because long lead is not really the guy that I would want to partner, Piquet. They just, I don't think they've necessarily spent their money wisely. And I think that La Masia is having an issue as well. You know, this great academy that once upon a time used to develop talent and create the very best. And now they're sort of letting, not really developing these players but sort of poaching them from other places, you know, what is considered to be potentially the next, the future generation. Uh,
2: And they're selling their half-decent Lamasia ones before they get a chance. A
1: a chance to prove themselves. They put buyback
2: clauses in, so it's not a loan, but they 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 basically doing like an expensive or money income way of using Lamasia. They're using it as a way to earn money so they can pay for the wages of these big players.
1: You wonder whether they are actually developing talent or whether they're just poaching it right now. Um, There's problems on... levels. In many ways, I wasn't a fan of Joan Laporta, their old president. But you just almost felt that Barcelona were always something really big under him. Like you would never let certain things happen. I mean, this is a man who has been investigated for several things. Um, uh, Acquitted too. but uh, I just don't think this management is doing the best by Barcelona.
0: Let us now hear some music and enjoy a song for Europe. watched the Milan derby. What a game that was. 4 2 to Internazionale after being 2 0 down. Uh, amazing Brozovic goal, especially. Did you enjoy it, Mina?
1: Oh my god, it was so amazing. Did you guys watch it?
3: I saw sort of highlights. It was,
0: were it was you going thrilled going for
1: Conte? I was. Kind of <laughs> <for> Conte. <laughs> <laughs> it was I
3: enough. thought of you. I thought you'd be gutted because Juve had lost and it put Inter back on the top of the table.
1: Yeah, well, I hate Sadi, so. Loads of fun though, wasn't it?
3: Like, really, you know, And I know it's
0: a hoary old uh, cliche that. Serie A is defensive and boring, but this was <laughs> end-to-end, loads of chances, woodwork getting hit. Great, we don't defend anymore. We don't defend yeah, anymore. There was some very curious AC defending, wasn't there?
1: <sighs> Romagnoli getting done by Lukaku. So much for the future centre-back of Italy. Um, it was really interesting, actually, because this is the... Milan have been on, on the whole pretty bad for a few years now, right? But this was like a tremendous first-half performance by them. And you're like, wow, Zlatan is there. Everyone is keen to do something. They were just having the time of their life with Chanaloğlu and Castillejo, players that you would never mention as being part of an elite club of players. And, you know, it was just working because there was space for them to occupy and, and and move into Brozovic, who is so important to Inter. When you sort of try to block his movement and not allow him the freedom, then Inter don't come together as well. And Milan did that well. I think Chanaloglu became such a handful that Brozovic was entertained and occupied a lot of the time in the first half. You knew something was going to happen in the second half. You knew Conte was going to throw a shoe or something was going to happen, but you just never trust a Conte side. And um, and he just came back, two goals in what, three minutes? Brozovic obviously like just, just made them feel that security again. Lukaku showed his power at the very end to score the, the final winner. Uh, Vecino, there's just so many players. And I think that what you saw was, let's be honest, there's 19 points separating these two teams. And and I think that in the beginning, Inter took it a little bit easy because they were like, "Oh, Milan's a bit rubbish, right?" <laughs> but then with the like, "Okay, this is weird. Now we have to show who we really are," and they did. Do
3: you know what I found interesting about it is? Um, quite a few English journalists went over for, for English newspapers. That I don't think that's happened in Serie A for years. Mm. That, Kuman that was
1: there as well. There's
3: been this interest. Mm. It is it is the most interesting title race at the moment. It is the sort of most interesting story in Europe. Mm. Um, and I think it's been... That's not to say, you know, these Juventus sides have been amazing for years, but there's been so little proper competition. Yeah. That it's just caught people's imagination again, and Serie A has sort of become a thing again. Yeah. It's,
1: it's but by the-, the way, had Lazio won midweek, they would be top.
3: Right, well...
1: And I they didn't would, know have, that. but the fact is, is they just drew, and now they're just a you know point behind or whatever it is. But it's it's a three horse race, and it's with you, you never trust Lazio, uh, you never trust Inter, but you do under Conte. Mm-hmm. You this Juventus side is the most vulnerable one we've seen yet. So you think you know this is possibility yeah, yeah. of them losing this, and then you look at Lazio and the fact that they're so amazing to watch, probably the most fun side to watch. And it's really, it's become such an interesting season. It
3: was weird seeing Victor Moses set up a goal in that. <laughs> game. Really strange. The whole team
0: is weird. It's like watching the Premier League like <laughs> Ashley, on, on random from five years ago. Yeah, just, just oh, the in Master League and Pro yeah, Evil. Or exactly. Like
1: yeah. Young is good too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a, well, he's it's been doing a quite Weird, well for them. weird tribute tactics assembling there. What about you, Vague, Mina? They went to my favourite team, Hellas Frona.
1: And lost 2-1. Can I just say, Hellas Verona, their entire squad salary is 9.3 million.
0: Yeah. They got Fabio Barini as well, (laughs) banging (laughs) them in for fun.
1: And Pazzini, if you're one for nostalgia. Um... They're, they're run by Hurich, their coach, who is a disciple of Gasparini. When we take a talk of Chris Wilder and his amazing tactics, you have to think of Gasparini and Hurich is a disciple of his. And the, right now, they're just a very attacking team. They're very solid um, and they have a management that's very much on board with what the coach wants. And they held Milan to a draw last weekend. Midweek, they held Lazio to a draw and then they defeated Juventus. And this is them playing every three days with a, you know with with a team that is just nowhere near <laughs> what you know it it should be basically they're a very small squad with not very great players and uh, and it just goes to show you that Juve right now are just either entirely dependent on Ronaldo or just not that interested in working hard for the team and people thought that you know they needed motivation they needed to shake things up so they brought in Ronaldo that didn't work let's sack Allegri and bring in Sarri because a new style of play might motivate them it hasn't worked. Everyone said, wait till February. We're in February and this is the worst that we've seen. They've lost to Napoli. They've lost to Hellas Verona. Do you really trust the side to do something in Europe now?
3: Is he um, is he under pressure at all? I know your views on Sari, but is there a lot of criticism in Italy? Is he sort of under pressure or are people sort of willing to give him time? I know historically, because I remember having to write about this for Chelsea, is historically his second season is always better at clubs. So obviously always takes him quite a long time to get his philosophy in
1: I think he has a lot of alibis because not very many people are, are happy with the work done by sporting director. Uh, if you look at the midfield, it's a little bit poor, to be honest. So you're a case of, you bring in Sadi, but you've offered him a midfield that isn't very flexible, that doesn't have the type of player suited to his type right. of football. So you can't ask for too much. And you're also asking him to not really have the authority because it's like, okay, Ronaldo has to get away with everything, you know, and then it's up to you to try to do the rest mm. of it. And he, it's just not the way that he plays his football. So he's anymore. not
3: getting back by the press, yeah. He's
1: not getting battered. And to be frank, even a lot of the fans are winning to show patience. Right. But because he has done so well in the Champions League. But again, I feel like if they don't win the Scudesto and they're out against Lyon, it's
3: over. They won't get knocked out by Lyon, will they?
1: I don't at this point. I mean, Hellas Verona? I yeah. don't
0: know. Come on. Be kind to Hellas. They're having a <laughs> wonderful season. Let's finish up with this question which we asked our friends on social media. After Kaka was filmed... turn Kaka... That sounds wrong. Kakar. C- <laughs> <laughs> after Kakar was filmed turning out for Hackney Wick FC at the weekend, when did you see a player clearly playing way beneath their level? Asim says Virgil van Dyke every week. I'm not sure what level he could be playing at, but uh, good answer. And Will R says we played against ex-Chelsea striker Mark Steen when he was doing a physiotherapy degree after retiring at university in London circa 2005. He could still leap like an absolute salmon, but he didn't score. What have you got,
2: JJ? I um, I love seeing players who are amazing in leagues where they stand out so much above it. And as a fan of Scottish football, <laughs> 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 I've seen quite a few. Like, Henrik Larsson was something else. Van Dijk, when he came into the scene, I remember you he could see straight away, the first game I saw him play is like, this guy's next level. You can see straight away. Um, They've got a few players that come through at Celtic, especially Rangers have had some good players over the time. But I even remember, like I haven't seen it, but I get told... Like when you you know when you play Sunday League or Five aside and someone brings a ringer along and they're like the Crystal Palace youth or something like that, they're always incredible when they play. But the difference in standard is such that like there's a boy called Darren Mackey who used to play for Aberdeen, and he used to score maybe five goals a season as a striker or a winger. He was pretty rubbish. But at junior level, which is above like amateur level, he, was, he has the record for some amount of goals in a season for the team in Inverurie he used to play for. He scored something like 50 goals in a season. Make, I'm exaggerating this for effect, but actually when you see the actual numbers he scored, it's mental. He was so, so much better than everyone in that league, which is competitive and churns out a lot of players are going to be professionals. But when he goes to Aberdeen, he's just kind of OK. Mm. And you think like, the difference to get to these different levels and in the absolute elite, it's staggering. Even now, you look like I watch, love watching those old legends play, you know, the, like Clarence Seedorf and that when they come and play those games. Seedorf could still play probably at quite a high level now, I would have thought. I bet Steven Gerrard could still back them in. I bet he could play for Rangers right now.
1: Hmm. Mm, I agree.
2: That'd be funny. He should give himself a game
0: and towards the end of the season. Who have you got, Mina?
1: Maybe Frank Ribéry at Fiorentina. You felt like, you know, this was a guy that had won the treble with Bayern, you know, like a real superstar comes into. Fiorentine and you think he's just, you know, he had so many better offers for salary and all of that, but he chose this project. And then he got injured, so you don't quite know whether he is of that level anymore or not. But And you look at the rest of the squad and you think they're all pretty even, to be honest. I
2: so, have been told that Gary Caldwell was amazing at, like, five aside that you couldn't get near to him. Gary Caldwell! I can <laughs> believe that come on Matt finish strongly please
3: uh, I played in the same press team <laughs> about probably 10 years ago as Chris Waddle who oh. was one of my favourite players as a kid and he was awful and Sam Wallace was the press team manager and substituted him off <laughs> (laughs) Did he? Which Chris Waddle was not impressed with at all. Was he
0: having a bad game? No,
3: we were all having a bad game, and Chris Waddle decided to completely sack it off. Oh, really? And not run. Well, he never ran, but just not do anything. But Sam Wallace substituted him off. Wow.
0: Don't mess with Sam. Exactly. Did he give him the hair-dry treatment?
3: (laughs) And then Collymore has played in those press games. There Stan Collymore, who just balls at everybody. Yeah, doesn't suffer fools. absolutely screams at you. But he, to be fair... He has been pretty incredible. Whenever I've I've seen him play for press teams, just scores stupid amount of goals, and it's you you realise how hard they hit the ball, which sounds ridiculous. That is it, yeah. It's, they absolutely smash it.
2: Yeah, they don't seem to do more with the backlift than their leg. It's all technique, and he's it's crazy. Like I did this thing ages ago with some boys who play for Morkham. And uh, they, were, they were free kick experts. I was doing it with uh, the old Brentford free kick coach, actually, a guy called Bartek Sylvester, I think his name is, And uh, for this thing for how to hit knuckleballs, and we're learning how to do it. And these boys were just stepping up, and just, but they were launching this ball so fast, you don't even know how they've learned to do it in the first place. But that's just standard. And they're not even that good players. The miracle of Morecambe. <laughs> Bless a lot for this week. Here's the special offer I promised you.
0: If, like me, you're very interested in football but recklessly uninterested in grown-up things like news, politics or share prices, I've got some really excellent news for you. As a listener to Audio Football Club, you can now get 50% off the price of a sport-only subscription to the Telegraph. That will allow you to read every article by our brilliant team of football writers. You've got Jamie Carragher, Sam Wallace, Jason Burt, James Ducker, and of course, AFC's very own Matt Law. It's only £20 for the year, which is down from a normal price of £40, and that will even get you the rest of our fantastic sports writing in an Olympic year, no less. Who knows? Maybe you'll end up even liking rugby. you have until the 15th of March 2020 to access this special offer, head to www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash A-F-C-T AFC Telegraph the initials you get it or you can click on the link that will be left in the show notes contact me before next week if you'd like to I'll be on Twitter as usual it's at Tom with an H Gibbs on there and you can send us an email afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the address we'll read out the best of what you send us don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club either you'll be embarrassed if you realised. You've forgotten to subscribe. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, type Audio Football Club, and do the rest yourselves. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons, and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.
3: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?